can open up to Jonah chapter number one, and we're going to continue in our series on the book of Jonah, on the character of Jonah, I should say more correctly. We've been, uh, we went through the character of Joseph, and, uh, and we started last week the character of Jonah. And, uh, and last night as I was looking over everything, I, I realized, I thought, oh, I didn't plan that very well uh, because we're going to get two lessons into Jonah and then we're starting missions month. And so, uh, so I, I will have to put Jonah on pause and come back to him uh, a month later. And so uh, usually I, if I would have thought about that and thought ahead, I would have had a filler uh, of a couple of weeks of, of lessons and then moved to missions month and then started Jonah afresh when we uh, got done with missions month. But uh, hopefully, we haven't covered too much, and so we should be able to recap pretty easily and, uh, and not get lost in the flow of, of everything. So Jonah chapter number 1, and uh, as you're turning there, um, as we think about Jonah, last week we saw Jonah's duty. And his responsibility to go where God had called him to go, we covered just two verses, uh, Jonah, one, Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And uh, this week we're going to look at verse number 3, and we're going to look at Jonah's disobedience and, uh, and see some uh, incredible truths out of the life of Jonah. Jonah chapter number 1 and verse number 1, the Bible says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, Go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. He found a ship, excuse me, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And let's just stop right there and let's pray. Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us. We thank you, Father, for the privilege and the opportunity that we have to gather in your house freely, Father, to worship your name, to sing openly, to pray and to, to read your word and preach your word and not feel any kind of hindrance from, uh, from anything outside. God, I pray that you would just bl uh, bless the service. I pray that you'd use me. God, I pray that you'd speak through me. God, I pray that you would touch hearts as only you can. And Father, we'll be careful to give you the honor and glory. Uh, in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we look at the life of Jonah, uh, Jonah is a prophet of God. We established that last week. And uh, this is not just a, a random calling that appeared on Jonah's life. We saw last week even that he had already prophesied prior to this. And that prophecy had come to pass. And therefore, Jonah was a bona fide prophet of God that had been used of God. And uh, as we think about this week and Jonah's disobedience, uh, it was written this way by John Butler. He said this, Jonah blatantly disobeyed the divine commission given to him. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, but instead Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish. What a disappointment. We expect our heroes, especially our Bible heroes, to act nobly, courageous, and exemplary. But alas, we discover that all heroes, even the best heroes of the faith, are human and have the old nature within them, and therefore they can and sometimes do 
fail. And if you read the Bible, you find that to be true. God did not paint a perfect picture of any one person except Jesus Christ throughout Scripture. And we're given the idea and the understanding that, hey, man is fallible. And even good men, even men who have worked for God's purpose and prophets who have been called according to God's calling and, and those who have served the Lord, uh, listen, we are flesh and blood and we make mistakes. And, uh, and may we be encouraged uh, not to do wrong, but rather, hey, to uh, when we do mess up, when we do make mistakes, but to brush ourselves off, get forgiveness, get right with God, and continue forward in our life. Because it's something that's important and something that's necessary. And we will see throughout uh, the book of Jonah that, that even, uh, even though we have made mistakes, and you see this throughout Scripture, uh, that many people have been used of the Lord even after their mistakes in their life. And so what a blessing and what an encouragement. But as we consider this, uh, this week we are going to look at the disobedience of Jonah. And, uh, and as you read verse 3, uh, you can see the spontaneity of disobedience. It seems as though uh, in verse number two, well, verse number one even, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, and in verse two he says, hey, arise, go to Nineveh. There's a place there that I want you to go to. And in verse three, Jonah says, whoop, not me, I'm out of here. And he hits the door, man. I mean, he's moving. He's saying, I'm not hanging around. There was no deliberating. There was no thinking about this. It almost seems as though a very uh, spontaneous uh, reaction to God's orders that had been given him. And, uh, and you see Jonah, he's occupied in verse number three. But Jonah rose up to flee. And, uh, and isn't it interesting uh, I've preached on this, I've touched on this in the past, and, and it's something that I constantly have to remind myself of, but it seems like um, the, the thing I have to remind myself is that sometimes, many times in my life, we need to pause, as the Bible says, be still and know that I am God. And we need to be reminded of that. We live in such a busy active society. And, uh, and I'm the kind of person, uh, I don't like to sit still. I, don't, I like to be active. I like to be busy. I like to do things. And we need reminded that we need to stop and pause. But, but I was reminded of that when I was reading that, that Jonah, uh, many people, when they run from God, you know what they do? They occupy themselves because the busier they are, the less they think about God. You ever notice that? If you keep yourself occupied, uh, you, at least, I'm like that, all right? I, I am not a multitasker, and I remind myself of that, and I try to remind my wife of that, uh, because she's great at it. I, man, I can do one thing really well. I might be able to do two things semi-okay, but three things, man, things start falling apart. It gets real bad, all right? I, I just, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have that ability. And so if I occupy myself, uh, you know, many people that are lost or many people that are not right with God, they occupy themselves because they do not want to pause and think of God. Remember when, when um, Elijah was in the mountain 
And God wanted to talk to Elijah. And the Bible says that uh, uh, God sent an earthquake, but he wasn't in the earthquake. He sent a great wind, but he wasn't in the wind. He sent a fire, but it wasn't in the fire. It was the still, small voice of God. And Jonah occupied himself running from God because if he was occupied, he would not hear that still, small voice of God. And so Jonah, in his rush and his spontaneity to flee and say, man, I'm not going to Nineveh, and, and to decide, hey, I'm going to go a different direction. I'm going to fill my, uh, my life with other things. Uh, he went straight to Tarshish. And we find uh, the obvious departure. It's interesting as you read this, and we'll cover it a little bit more, but he says, he rose up to flee unto Tarshish. One simply doesn't depart from God in the spur of the moment like that. You see, what's going on in Jonah's life is you have to understand, you have to realize that the majority of the people that, that would just suddenly up and leave is like there was something going on in their heart before this. There was, a, there was a slide in Jonah's life that had occurred before he ever tried to flee from the presence of God. Maybe his Bible reading had lapsed and maybe he had, he had stopped communicating with God. Maybe he had stopped praying and walking with God like he used to in his life. And, and, and we preach about it all the time and it is so important, but yet many times those are things that other people cannot see. We, we look at the outside and, and yeah, you look great this morning. You came, you're all dressed up, and you look nice. But we really can't see what's in the heart. And we really don't know. And many times, uh, it's easy, and maybe Jonah even pulled the wool over everyone else's eyes, and everyone thought, well, Jonah was a prophet of God, and therefore he was doing what was right. But in his heart, he had backslidden, and he had gotten away from walking with God like he should have been doing. And as a result, it comes to this point where God says, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah's like, this is my exit. I ain't going there. I'm not doing that. And he leaves. But his outward actions were a direct result of what was already in his heart. His, his actions, the Bible says uh, that... that um, that uh, in Proverbs 4, 23, uh, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Uh, it says, uh, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he in another place. And so our heart determines the direction. So we know Jonah's heart already had been departing from God. And, uh, and this sudden display uh, of what was truly already on the inside uh, probably may have shocked other people. It certainly, as we look at it, we're like, wow, that's kind of amazing because Jonah was in a place where he could hear God talking to him, but now he is departing. And so we find the spontaneity of his disobedience. And listen, obedience comes at a price and with a discipline. Uh, disobedience is easier. It just is. I mean, uh, think about this, right? Sunday morning, it's 10 something, 10, 20, whatever it is. And, uh, and how many of you said, man, I just, I woke up this morning and I just couldn't wait to get out of bed. I didn't think so. And my hand's not raised either. I just, we, 
You know what? Our natural ability or our natural desires, man, I just want to lay in bed. I don't want to work. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to go out of my comfort zone. I don't want to extend myself. I don't want to put forth any effort. And, and, uh, and a day or two like that's not bad. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but, but I'm saying our natural desire is not disciplined. Matter of fact, our natural desire tends to be lazy. And, uh, and, and just uh, easy and convenience-driven in our life. Obedience is often not that. Obedience requires effort on our part. Obedience requires work on our part. Uh, you got up and, uh, and you didn't just happen to waltz into church this morning by accident because it just happened to be convenient and, uh, and you strolled out of bed and somebody just picked you up and brought you in here and dropped you off at the door and they had your clothes all ready and your breakfast all ready when you got out of bed and that's not life. You, you yourself had to get yourself up. You had to get your, probably make your own coffee, make your own breakfast get your own clothes ready and uh, and get in the car and come to the church and 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 bring your Bible and be prepared obedience requires work and it requires effort and it requires something on our end it is far easier to be disobedient than it is to be obedient but it's far more rewarding to be obedient than it is to be disobedient and so we need to understand that Joseph, though it seemed very spontaneous, uh, and, and we see that he did get orders and he kept himself occupied, and then he had an obvious departure because he had left, and we can certainly understand that, hey, that's what was in his heart. He had backslidden before he ever walked out. And, and then we find that obedience certainly requires effort on our part. The Apostle Paul wrote this way in 1 Corinthians 9. He said, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. In other words, Paul was saying, hey, even, we're talking about the Apostle Paul here, the guy who wrote the majority of the New Testament. In my mind and in my, uh, my opinion, he's probably one of the greatest apostles and Christians that God ever used as far as people on this earth. And, and he is saying, listen, that it requires discipline, it requires effort, it requires uh, my myself keeping my body under subjection. In other words, me being disciplined and submitting myself to God. Lest when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. He's saying, hey, the foundational fundamentals are still the same and they're so important. And so we see the uh, spontaneity or the seemingly spontaneity of Jonah's disobedience. But I want you to notice this. The separation of disobedience. Uh, Jonah couldn't get far enough away fast enough, to be honest with you. And, uh, and it's no surprise that those who run from God and those who are not content with God, they do not want to be in a place uh, that, that they can listen to God. You see here in Jonah chapter, or verse number 3, he says, But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He said, hey, I want to get out of here. I want to be away from the presence of the Lord. Now, that's an interesting phrase, and I didn't think of this, but in the lesson he brought it out. Is it possible really to get away from God? And on one hand, the answer is no, it's not possible to get away from the presence of God. 
On one hand, certainly he promised, he said, I will be with you, uh, I will not leave you, and I will not forsake you, and therefore uh, you cannot get away from God's presence. And, and the Bible even talks about that in Psalm 139, verse 7 uh, and 8. He says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. And certainly God's presence uh, everywhere. We call that omnipresent. He is everywhere. And you cannot get away from the presence of God. But at the same time, we find that phrase used throughout Scripture many times. The, the, probably one of the better illustrations that I go to quite frequently is that of, uh, that of Adam and Eve. When they were in the garden, the Bible gives us the idea, at least the, uh, it's insinuated that they would walk with God on a regular basis and that God would come down and he desired to walk with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden on a regular basis. But after they sinned, the Bible says this, that they hid themselves from the presence of God. In other words, they knew that God was going to come down and walk and fellowship with them. And at the very time that God was going to come and walk with them, uh, they, they wanted to hide themselves and get away from the presence of God. You go on a little further and you read in, in Genesis 4.16, and Cain uh, went out from the presence of the Lord after Cain had killed his brother. Uh, the Bible says that he went out from the presence of the Lord. Now, in one hand, you cannot get away from the presence of the Lord, but on the other hand, uh, you can, in your life, get, get to a place where you don't listen and you don't hear God speaking to you. There's places in my life that I've been to. One of them is uh, Hoosier Hills Baptist Camp in, out in Indiana, southern Indiana. I went there as a teenager. I went there as a young person. I was actually saved there and called to preach there and many wonderful meetings. And, and in my mind, it is a place where I know that I could go and I could hear the preaching of the Word of God and the presence of God is in that place. When I go there and I hear that, man, it's just... And if I didn't want to hear the preaching of God, you know what I would do? I would avoid that place like the plague. I wouldn't want to be in the presence of God. I was talking to my parents, and they just went to a, a, a teen, um, uh, teen retreat. Uh, no, my, my parents are not teenagers. But they, they've gone to it every year for 20, 20, more than 25 years now. And it was a very large teen retreat. And the, the fellow, the pastor that hosted it last year passed away. And so this was a, a very big year for them to go. And, and, uh, and I was talking with my dad. And I said, well, I remember going when they just started that teen retreat some 20-some years ago. And, and I remember being there. It was really small. And it was in a small building. But it was a wonderful uh, teen retreat. And, and I remember going there a little bit later as it grew into a larger retreat and and now I'd been gone for some 20 years but uh, uh, but but it has grown into this phenomenal retreat and and my dad was saying how uh, there there's some teenagers that uh, they they don't want to go there at all because they know the presence of God is in that place they don't want to hear the preaching. They don't want to be under the presence of God. And so Jonah, in this, I, this same philosophy or idea uh, as what we just looked at, Jonah flees from the presence of the Lord. In other words, he doesn't want to hear from God. 
He doesn't want to make himself available. He doesn't want to hear the voice of God speaking to him. He doesn't want to know what the calling of God is in his life because he's well aware of what God wants him to do and he does not want to do it. And so sin, uh, the disobedience will separate you from the voice of God and for your relationship. With God, The Bible talks about Bethel being a place of where God spoke in the Old Testament. And Jacob had his visions there and, and he heard from God. And, and there's often the idea and the reference of back to Bethel where you can hear from God. And so disobedience separates you from God. And, and when, when you know there's a, a problem, uh, then there's the possibility of getting away from the presence of God. The separation of disobedience. But then there's the practice of leaving. God's presence is not a desirable place for a rebellious spirit. We find that true over and over in the Word of God. We find it true in Jonah's life as he desired to flee from the presence of God. The Bible says in John uh, chapter 6 and verse number 66, it says, From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. What had happened? He had given them a word, and they did not like that. Uh, they, they did not agree with that. And the word of God, the Bible says, is sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit. And this word is sharp, and Jesus had given them the word of God. And when he had given them the word of God, hey, there were those that departed and said, man, we're not going back to Jesus. In these words that he spoke, they're sharp, they're harsh, they're hard. Who can understand them? Who can obey them? Who can follow them? And so there's, a, there's a, a, the practice of leaving many people when they, uh, when they are pricked by the word of God, say, I don't, wanna, I don't want that in my life. And they would leave and they would separate from God. We have the separation of disobedience. I want you to notice as well, the success, I'll put that in air quotes for those that called in, success of disobedience. You look there in verse number three, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. Now, isn't that just lucky of Jonah to happen across the ship that was heading to Tarshish. I mean, man, it's almost like providential, like, uh, like his journey was being prospered by God himself. We know that was not the case. I'm speaking, of course, tongue-in-cheek. That was not the case whatsoever. God had clearly, distinctly given him a job to go to Nineveh, and instead of going to Nineveh, Jonah was parting and going elsewhere. If you pull up a map, I, I know I talk about this a little bit later, but uh, we'll cover it right now. Uh, if you look at where Tarshish is, uh, it's used a few other times in the Bible, and I didn't get an exact location, but it's actually southern Spain. If you look where Nineveh was, Nineveh was was modern-day Iraq. It was over in that region. And if you look where Jonah was, he was, he was uh, down in, in um, I forgot the name of the town. Uh, we saw it last week. But he's in uh, Galilee, basically, of, of, of Israel. And so for him to go to Nineveh, he would have had to go north, and he would have had to go uh, east. But instead of going northeast, he goes down to Tar Joppa, 
and he finds a ticket to go to Tarshish. Now, Tarshish is clean over in Spain. It is north and west. He was going the exact opposite direction of what God had called him to do. And it would seem as though that Jonah was lucking out and there was success to his disobedience. And listen, the world would look at that and they'd say, oh, uh, look, that, that his, uh, his journey was prosperous and he was successful in the world's eyes. They would say, well, everything fell into place and there happened to be a ship right there heading to Tarshish, which was a long journey. It was not close. It was probably just as far by sea as it was to go to Nineveh by land. And so, uh, so it was a, an extensive journey that, that, uh, that, that Jonah was trying to embark upon. And, uh, and everyone would say, wow, he was successful. And there's verses in the Bible that, uh, that, that would lead us, or that would help us understand that, hey, as Christians, we should not be worried when it seems like the world is prospering. Doesn't it bother you? It bothers me, at least. When I see people that are not living godly lives at all, we're talking probably people who are just plumb lost and they don't know the Lord as their Savior. And yet it seems like they have all the worldly pleasures. I mean, uh, they have millions of dollars in the bank. They have a house. They have, uh, man, they could, they could drive a car of the week if they wanted to. And, it, and it, you would look at their life from the outside, not knowing them personally, not with uh, any real deep knowledge of who they are, and you say, man, they are, they are, in the world's eyes at least, they are prospering very well. But you know... You say, man, I know there's wickedness there. Why doesn't God judge that? And, and we, we would tend to get upset. And the Bible would say, hey, don't, don't worry. Don't be upset for those that would prosper. Sometimes it seems like sinners prosper. Sometimes it seems like disobedient servants would prosper. But understand and mark it down that it's not for us to figure out all of those things. God's keeping track in heaven. And God is the one that's responsible for all of those things. And we ought not take that responsibility on ourselves. Tarshish was a place, it's also spelled Tharshish in the Bible. You can, use it, you can find it a few other places. In 1 Kings chapter 10 and verse 22, uh, Tarshish or Tharshish uh, was a place that was known for great treasures and great riches. Matter of fact, uh, King Jehoshaphat and the king uh, before him would send boats out and they would go there and, uh, and they would bring back gold and they would bring back peacocks and they would bring back many things. And so Tarshish was a place that would no, was known for many riches. And if you think about that, uh, man, the world is looking at Jonah and saying, man, he got a boat, but not just any boat. Hey, he got a boat going to a wealthy place where there's a lot of gold and a lot of riches. Man, he must be doing good. The world would look at him and say, wow, that guy's, man, things are turning up for Jonah and his life's getting better. But the Word of God and its standard is far different from what the world measures as success. The world will tell you if you have all of those things that you are successful. But listen, God is, doesn't measure our success by our financial gain and the things that we have in this world. 
Now, it's not wrong to have riches. I could point out many people in the Bible. Abraham was very wealthy. Job was very wealthy. But those wealth, that wealth and those riches did not have them. Uh, they had wealth and they had riches. So it's not that it's wrong to have those things. But we find that uh, God's word and God's measurement of success is not the wealth that we would possess, but rather our obedience to the word of God in our life. May we be obedient to God and to His Word. We can find the spontaneity of His disobedience, the separation of His disobedience, the seemingly success of His obedience as people would look at it and say, wow, He's doing good. But I want you to notice this as well, and that's the spending of His disobedience. Look where there in verse number 3 again, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof. He paid the fare. Listen, the eagerness to pay. Uh, he was willing to pay. You know, you, I could just imagine Jonah going down to Joppa and, and there uh, in the port uh, there was uh, ships and, and maybe there were some that were leaving and, and, uh, and I could see the guys, you know, selling the tickets and, hey, we need, uh, uh, you want to buy a ticket going to this place? And Jonah's like, no. And perhaps somebody said, hey, you want to go, you want to you wanna buy a ticket to go to Tarshish? And, and Jonah said, well, man, yeah. And, uh, and the guy said, well, this is the amount of money that you need. And, and Jonah, man, he was scraping together. He didn't, I could just a picture and I could just imagine. He didn't bother heckling over the price. He just knew, hey, Tarshish, that is west. And I'm supposed to go east. And that's the direction I want to go away from God. And so I'm going to go in the opposite direction. And I'm sure that Jonah was eager to pay that price, whatever it was. And listen, when somebody is, uh, is selfish and self-willed, they will pay whatever price it takes to do what they want to do. My wife and I, we often comment just amongst ourselves and we're like, you know, people do what they want to do. And you can, uh, everyone, uh, you, could, you could throw stones at everyone in this room. You could say, well, they, they go and, and they do this. But, but then you turn around and you go do that. And so they're throwing stones at you because maybe they go golfing and maybe you go fishing. Can you believe how much money he spends on golf? Can you believe how much money he spends on fishing? Can you believe how much money he spends on motorcycles? Can you believe how much money he spends on racing? And you could go on and on and on and on because everybody has something that they will pay to do and they don't think nothing about it because they enjoy it. And the bottom line is we will do what we want to do and it, and it really won't bother us the cost of that uh, because it's something that we enjoy. And we find that when a man is fleeing from God and he doesn't want to follow God and he doesn't want to obey God, it doesn't matter the cost of getting away from God. He'll pay that price because he's going to do what he wants to do. And so we find that Joseph, or Jonah, excuse me, was more than willing to pay whatever the price was to go to Tarshish to the opposite direction. Maybe it was a very expensive boat. Tarshish was a very uh, wealthy area, so maybe it was a very expensive boat. We really don't know. 
But I want you to notice not just the physical price that Jonah paid, but the extent of his paying. Uh, it cost Jonah financially, yes, to run the opposite direction, but there was a price far greater than that. I've referenced the song, and uh, it's old song, but, uh, but it goes on that sin will take you farther than you want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and sin will cost you far more than you wanted to pay. And we find that that holds true in Jonah's life. It wasn't just a financial payment, but there was a payment of peace in Jonah's life that he lost when he ran from God. He decided, hey, that the peace of God is no longer important in my life, and Jonah lost that that peace with God. He lost that peace of mind. He lost that peace of conscience and honor. And we find that uh, Jonah was willing to pay a great price to flee from the presence of God. There's a great price in the spending of disobedience, and you can see it in Jonah's life. I want you to notice as well the stumbling of disobedience. The Bible says there in verse number three, uh, about the middle of the verse, so, so he paid the fare thereof and went down into it. Went down, this re is referenced in the Bible many times throughout Scripture that is a spiritually wrong direction. And Joseph went down, he went the wrong direction. And it's indication of where he was headed in his life spiritually and going the wrong way. But as he stumbled, it wasn't just physically down, though Joppa was south from where Jonah was located to catch that boat to go, uh, go away from the presence of God. It was just the beginning. And we find that uh, he was not only going down physically, but he was going down spiritually. He had already departed, tried to depart from the presence of God where he didn't want to listen to God. God anymore. But you go down in verse number six, and when the shipmaster comes along and he's saying, hey, uh, listen, there's a great storm, and I want you to pray to your God, that Jonah wasn't even willing to pray to his God. Not only did he not want to hear from God, he didn't want to talk to God. He was giving God the silent treatment, if you will. He wasn't interested in communicating with God. He wasn't interested in hearing from God. He wanted away from God. And, and his physical departure uh, went down spiritually. And, and he continued to go down for quite some time. Matter of fact, uh, when they threw him off the boat, uh, listen, he went in the whale's belly. And he went down just a little bit further. Until he hit, gives new meaning to hitting rock bottom, amen? He hit bottom all right. And it was just a significant direction that he was heading in his life. And one thing will lead to another, and another will lead to another. And listen, sin will wrap its, its web around you and continue. There's an illustration I've often wanted to bring in here, and I haven't done it yet. I might someday, I don't know. But uh, uh, I, I remember as a kid in junior church, they would take a... Uh, maybe a young man or, or one of the college kids or an adult, and, and they'd say, do you think I can tie this guy up with thread? And all the kids are like, no, he can break that. And you take thread and you wrap it around and you tie it up, and sure enough, he breaks it. You take thread and you wrap it around two or three times, and sure enough, he struggles, but he'll break it. And you take thread and wrap it around a few more times. And you know what? If you put enough rounds of thread around a person, they are tied up, and they can't break it. 
And sin will let you feel like, oh, I'm breaking free and I'm breaking free and I'm breaking free. But each time it becomes more difficult as it wraps around your life and, and it will cause you to go down continually. And we see that in Jonah's life as he sank literally to the very bottom and hit rock bottom in his life. And I'm just saying that disobedience is not a good thing for a Christian. May we look at Jonah's life. May we go all the way back to the beginning where he started departing spiritually from God and saying, closing off his heart to God. May we keep our hearts so open to the Lord and say, God, I'm willing to do what you want me to do. Maybe in your life there's things that have happened. And listen, I know hardship happens. I know difficulties happen. I know struggles and things that are not right take place. We learned all about that in Joseph's life. But I'm just saying maybe some things have happened and it's caused your heart to harden up. And I just want to say this, that, hey, open your heart back up to God. Don't let it close off because as the heart starts to harden and close things off to God, you say, well, I'm not going where Jonah was. Well, we say that, but if, if we close off our heart to God and, and we start losing our walk with God like we ought to have and we, we depart from God and we're not where we ought to be, then eventually we could very well end up where Jonah was in his life. If we're not careful because it starts on the inside. And it starts with that relationship with the Lord and that freedom to listen to God and to speak to God. May we keep our relationship right with the Lord so we don't end up where Jonah did in his life. As we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, Jonah's disobedience, what an example, what a lesson for us that we ought to be obedient to the Lord. God, I pray that you'd help us. God, help us to be always soft-hearted, always tender-hearted towards you, open to what you would have us to do. God, help us not to close off our heart. God, help us not to be angry or upset or bitter or about circumstances or things in life that have taken place, but help us, God, to be open. Help us to be uh, clean and right before you. God, I pray that you'd speak to each and every heart. And God, may we take a moment to examine our own hearts and say, God, is there anything in my life between me and you? Because, God, I want a right relationship with you. I don't want to end up where Jonah ended up. I want to continue to walk with you. Help me and strengthen me. God, I pray that you'd speak to hearts as only you can. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we have a short hymn of invitation, if God's spoken to your heart, the altar's open. Maybe you're here and you've never given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, you can do that today. You can just simply cry out to the Lord, say, God, I know I'm a sinner and I'm lost. I need you as my Savior. And if you do that, He'll save you. He'll change your life. Christian, maybe there's, maybe there's something that's there. I don't know what it is. I couldn't tell you. But in your heart, maybe you know what it is. Hey, take a moment. 
just ask God for forgiveness. Ask God to help you with that. Ask God to soften your heart. Hey, we're all human. We all have the potential of growing hard-hearted, just like Jonah, of departing and being disobedient. As the piano plays, if God's spoken to your heart, the altar's open.